Bruce Larson, UPC's senior pastor from 1980 to 1990, passed away on December 15th. In honor of him, we're posting several of his sermons from his years at UPC. A beloved pastor and friend, Reverend Larson impacted countless lives, and his legacy of books and sermons will continue to share his wisdom and love. This past week, I had a life-changing conversation. A young man who's a member of this church called me. He said, Bruce, I ask you to forgive me. I have had a resentment against you for about six months, and uh, I forgive you. Will you please forgive me? And I thought, the angels must be having a party right now. They wait for moments like this. It is a miracle moment. It's a moment when I was in the presence of spiritual greatness. And I said, you bet. I wasn't aware how he felt about me, but can you imagine the implications in his life for being released from something like that? Forgiveness is a way of life. Now, this morning in the scripture that Lee just read for us, we find old Peter, the great fisherman, figuring, I finally got it. Forgiveness is a way of life. So they're walking along. You remember we said two weeks ago that most of Jesus' teachings were as they walked along, he said something to someone. One of the great and most profound truths of all time come as Peter says, Lord, I think I've got it. If that rascal who keeps bugging me and dumping on me and cutting off my legs, if that rascal offends me seven times, is that how often I should forgive him? Jesus says, no, Peter, 70 times seven. And he wasn't talking about 490 times. Saying, Peter, if you start counting how many times you forgive, you've missed the whole point. Forgiveness is unlimited for your sake. It's unlimited. Forgiveness is a way of life. Why is forgiveness a way of life from Jesus' perspective? Not uh, to show off our piety. It doesn't give you any brownie points or badges to say, now there's a person that forgave somebody 490 times. It doesn't earn you anything. You don't do it because the person who asks you is sincere. They may or may not be sincere. Uh, They may or may not deserve your forgiveness. That isn't the point. We do it because Jesus commands it. Now, why does he command it? Well, John 10.10, we go back to that verse. Why did he come? Why did he leave heaven? Why was he born of a little girl in the village? Why did he live among us? Why did he die for us? Why this table? He tells you in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life. Zoe, life, pressed down, heaped up, and running over. I've come to give you life, life abundantly. And Peter, he could have said, there's no way you can have life abundantly unless you become someone who gives unlimited forgiveness to the deserving and to the undeserving. I command you to forgive 70 times 7. When uh, a few of you who are my age in this congregation, not many, but a few, remember when before the time of air conditioning, it was a great treat to ride the trains. And the one speed vehicle before planes were, were common, and... Uh, my parents would say, now don't stick your head and your arms out the window. I thought, how mean they are. Flying along 50 miles an hour, you get your head out there and cinders in your face. But they knew that you could lose your arm or your head by sticking it out the window. 
Same thing. Jesus says, listen, I'm not hard. It's because I love you. I'm telling you, Peter, not seven times, unlimited. Why is unforgiveness harmful? We know from medicine. Current medicine says, boy, when you don't forgive, when you have resentments, things back up in your body. We know from you psychiatrists what happens to our whole mental state, emotional state, bad medicine. Last Sunday night, uh, Hazel and I were invited to be a part of the Faith, Hope, and Recovery group. I can't tell you what a resource God has raised up for all of us in that Sunday night group. If you suspect you have an alcohol or a drug addiction, uh, chemical addiction problem, or if you suspect you live with someone who does, I urge you to go and meet with those sisters and brothers on a Sunday evening. They are loving, they are caring, they are wise, they are in touch with the Holy Spirit's power. Lives are being changed there. In the course of the evening, as people were logging in, a woman said something so profound, I said, me, I quote you in the sermon next Sunday. She told about leaving her home in Europe where her parents were alcoholics because she hated alcoholics. And she hated what they were in her home. She fled to America, began a new life here, and she became an alcoholic. And she said, I've discovered that you become what you hate. Now think about that. Jesus knew that. The thing you hate, the person you hate. Why do you hate someone? For good reason. Most of us don't hate without a reason. The ugly thing in that person you hate, she said last Sunday night, you become the thing you hate. So Jesus says, don't hate, forgive, lest you become what you hate. Powerful. The spiritual consequences of unforgiveness are enormous. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our you know, debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I can't believe Jesus is playing quid pro quo, ipsy-pipsy. I can't believe the Lord, whose table we come to this morning, says, Ah, 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 if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. Does that sound like him? What he is saying, I believe, is, he said, If you don't forgive... It doesn't matter that I have paid an enormous price to forgive you. It's all discounted. I can't change that. And I love you. It's like your children. You don't say, if you don't, I won't. If your child cries out, if you're a parent, you say, everything that I've got is yours. He says, it's all yours at this table this morning. But if you don't forgive, it counts for nothing. You discount it. So that's why he says, you must do it. You must do it. Now, that's only part of the problem. Who to forgive? Let me give you a checklist of four obvious people. First of all, your enemies. You have them. You know, we have a word in psychiatry called paranoia that says that you believe everybody's out to get you and is your enemy, and you're sick if you believe that, right? But if you believe everybody is your friend, you're even sicker. <laughs> you can't live in this world and not acquire enemies. People who, if you stumble morally or financially or spiritually, wouldn't grin and say, oh, I knew they weren't that good. Say, so you've got enemies. We all have them. And uh, Psalm 23, which we read together this morning, assumes that. It says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. See, you have enemies. I have enemies. Jesus had enemies. Many enemies. Matter of fact, he warns us, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. I hope you have enemies, or you're in big trouble. Now, Jesus had an enemy when this supper was instituted. It says, He says, One of you twelve will betray me. And each one said, Is it I? And then it says in, in Mark's Gospel, 17th, 14th chapter of Mark, it says, He passed the cup and he said, All of you drink from it. 
So he gave his very life, his ultimate cup, even to the one who would betray him. But his enemy was there. On the cross, what does Jesus say? Father, he says, to the ones who are driving the nails in his hands, who are putting the spear in his side, the crown of thorns on his head, he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say they weren't his enemies. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he says to us, love one another as I have loved you. Marvelous story comes out of the, um, the revolution of our country. Peter Miller was a Baptist minister in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And he had a man in town who was an evil-minded, rotten human being who loved to humiliate this pastor publicly every chance he got. His name was Michael Whitman. And one day, Michael Whitman was accused of treason, and George Washington sentenced him to be hung. So Peter Miller walked 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia, sees General Washington. He says, please, he said, would you pardon Michael Whitman? And George Washington said, no. He said, Peter, even though you're my friend, he said, I'm sorry. I cannot pardon this friend for whose life you're pleading. He said, friend, he's the worst enemy that I have. And Washington said, he is? That changes the whole complexion. In that case, he said, if he's your enemy and you've walked 70 miles to plead for him, I'm going to forgive him. So Peter Miller and Michael Whitman walked back 70 miles, friends. He understood what Jesus said, love one another. Love those who persecute you. Love those who kill you. Love those who hate you for your sake. But also, you might change someone's life. So, love your enemies. Secondly, love your friends. It's not always easy to love your friends. Love those people who are not your enemies, but who somehow find a way to do you in. I'm talking about your husband or wife. I'm talking about your children. I'm talking about your parents, some of the colleagues where you work and friends you have. People who are not your enemies but people who, because of their own limited vision or something, have been a stumbling block. I can remember uh, I, I tried to enlist in the Navy in World War II. You all know my love of boats and the sea. And they said, no, no, with eyes like yours, we don't want you. No, the Navy doesn't want you. So I said, well, I'm going to enlist in the Merchant Marine and carry goods over there. My mother said, that's too dangerous. I will not let my son uh, enlist in the Merchant Marine. So I ended up in the infantry. And I would sit there, you know, no food for two days, the rain coming down on the Vosges Mountains, shrapnel flying around, my girl writing me a Dear John letter, my foxhole full of water, I'm sitting there, and I said, thanks a bunch, Mom. <laughs> and it was hard for me to say, I could be in a nice bunk on a merchant marine ship, you know, traveling the ocean right now instead of here, but there are people who have done you in who didn't mean to, who loved you. And uh, Jesus says, forgive your friends. Forgive your friends. Um, there's a parable here. A young man was a student here when Earl Palmer was one of your associate pastors. And uh, Earl saw to it that Dick Leon was sent over to the Philippines on mission for a long, long time. In the meantime, when, when uh, Dick Leon, currently the pastor in First Preston, Spokane, when he came back, he found his pastor had married his girl. How do you forgive him for that? Well, Earl said, have I got a deal for you? He said, I've got just the girl. And because they were still friends, Earl introduced Dick to his present glorious, beautiful wife. But you see, if you get mad at somebody, they can't bless you. All right. Now, the third person, can you forgive yourself? Can you forgive? The difference between Judas and Peter is not in how great was their sin. There is no sin you can commit for which this table says you are not forgiven if you'll receive it and believe it. But the difference is that Judas couldn't forgive himself. He could have had God's forgiveness. He had it. Couldn't forgive himself. Peter, who wept, 
finally believed and confessed three times, I love you. The key to survival spiritually is whether or not you and I can forgive ourselves. Who has not betrayed Jesus or your best friends? Who has not been the stumbling block for someone else or said about the Lord, no way, don't count on me? When he said, one of you will betray me at this table, everyone said, is it I? No one said, wouldn't be me, Lord. They all knew they were capable of that. Is it I? Uh, like the uh, wife who said to her husband, he said, why don't you play golf with Herb anymore? Oh, he said, who'd want to play golf with somebody who uh, cheats on the score and moves the ball when you're not looking and who makes noises when you're putting? She said, well, nobody. He said, neither would Herb. So if you are that kind of a person, can you forgive yourself? One of our interns here a year ago for University Ministries is now at Princeton in her second year. She was an intern this summer in, uh, our, in the church here, Annette Mosier. And when she gave one of her talks at the inn, she said something so profound. She said, we like to be around people who like to be around themselves. You see, if we're called to be lovers, uh, we want to be around people who like being around themselves. And since nobody is innocent, that means you have to forgive yourself that you can be somebody others like to be around, that you can bless them. Uh, some of you know the drama that occurred here a couple of years ago when one of our missionary families going back to a mission station had an accident. The mother was driving, and this uh, one of the two little girls was, was seriously injured, and her hand was cut off in the accident. And that little girl is so marvelous. She has adapted and adjusted, and she's whole and incredible human being. But I pray for the mother. You know, can the mother forgive herself? All of us have injured the people we love in one way or another. No one is a perfect parent or brother or sister. Can you forgive yourself? If you can't, you and I are done for. And finally, can you forgive God? Can you forgive God? If you have received something unfair and unjust, and life is full of unfair and unjust, can you say, Lord, though you slay me, Yet will I trust you. That was Job's great affirmation. Though he slay me, we say, Lord, what about him? And he says, what is that to you? You follow me. Or, Lord, why me? He says, why not you? Who are you? You see, if God has sent something into your life that you wouldn't want and don't deserve, can you forgive God? What about him? Well, we come to this table this morning on limited forgiveness. There's nothing you've done that Jesus Christ has not paid the price for. Now, the question is, can you forgive those who have done you wrong? Let me close with a story about one of my oldest friends. I knew Corrie Ten Boom 30 years ago when she first came from Holland to America and began her incredible worldwide ministry. And I'm sure many of you have heard her tell the story that as when she was in a concentration camp uh, for befriending Jews in Holland, the Nazis had her there, her sister and herself and her father, the watchmaker, her father died, her sister died, and she lived. But the humiliation... The, 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 the deprivation, especially she remembers the leering guards who, when the women were forced to shower naked to get the lice off, the guards would stand around there and humiliate them. And so she's preaching all over the world how Jesus forgives. And she said one day she was in Munich and up came uh, a man who said, Yeah, uh, Miss Ten Boom, isn't it wonderful how Jesus forgives all our sins? And she saw the face of the most despised guard the same man who leered at her and her sister naked in the shower back there in the concentration camp. And she said, I froze. My heart became like ice. And I could not love that man. I've just been preaching about forgiveness. So she said, I offered a prayer. I said, Jesus, forgive me 
that I cannot forgive him. And he said, yes, Corey, I do forgive you that you cannot forgive him. And then she said, my heart melted. and I put out my hand and called him brother. If there is someone this morning you cannot forgive, come and say, Jesus, I come to your table. Forgive me that I cannot forgive. Receive his forgiveness and pray that your heart and my heart will melt. And God will say, now you are free. As we come to that table, we sing verses 3 and 4 and 5 of our communion hymn, Jesus, Thou Joy of Loving Hearts. <laughs>